Hey everybody, welcome to the Salt Lake Business Podcast. Today we have Cody Reeder. He is the owner of Reeder Asset Management, which is a property management company uh, with properties from the Idaho border all the way down to Utah County. Uh, he went from selling Yellow Page ads to investing in real estate, currently owns 187 units. And uh, in this podcast, we talk about steps to eviction, screening tenants, service and emotional support animals, routine maintenance and inspections, tips for uh, DIY landlords, and just how Cody got a start and how he scaled his real estate management business. So uh, hope you guys enjoy and leave some comments in YouTube or um, wherever you're listening to. Hope you enjoy. Peace. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Salt Lake Business Podcast. I'm here today with one another, Cody Reeder of Reeder Asset Management. Uh, so Cody, for the people who don't know you, kind of give them a, a brief overview of who you are, what you're doing, and how you came to be. Okay. Um, yeah, as Daryl said, my name is Cody Reeder. I own Reeder Asset Management. It's a property management company. We manage for uh, property or for owners from uh, just north of the Idaho border down to uh, into Utah County. So uh, kind of how I got my start uh, about 20 years ago, I was uh, doing sales for Yellow Pages, which if you're probably under 40, you may not even know what a Yellow Page is, but uh, basically it was how we used to, it was our form of Google for the older people, uh, how you'd find businesses. And so um, I was selling ads and this new thing came on the market called the internet or the World Wide Web. And so it became pretty uh, obvious to those of us that were in the print media world that, um, you know, that, that things were going to change. And so I uh, didn't, I never graduated. I didn't really have any formal training in anything and was just up late one night trying to figure out kind of what is going to happen next in my world and uh, saw an infomercial uh, about um, seller finance or uh, buying real estate, buying investments and uh, using seller financing tools and, and uh, kind of intrigued me. And, and so that was kind of the start of my first uh, venture as uh, trying, you know, started looking for real estate. And what so year was that? That would have been about 2000. Okay. So yeah, probably 20 years ago. Gotcha. And um, so I uh, sat down with my wife. We've kind of always lived pretty conservatively and told her what, you know, I was concerned about where. Taking on debt. Where, well, <laughs> and, that, and just where our, our career path was going to go. Oh, I mean, I there, we had some big unknowns in our world. And so We've actually lived pretty conservatively, so we had some money set aside and uh, used way too much down on that first. I, I didn't realize there was creative tools for financing and leverage and all that, so we bought a, a duplex up by Utah State University. Um, I live in, in Logan, so that's where I got my start was in Logan. And um, within a couple of months, I just I fell in love with it. And so I learned about refinancing and and, and leveraging and, and how I could pull equity out, extract the equity to buy other property. And so uh, within about four months after that first property, I had bought three more duplexes. And um, yeah, just, I fell in love with it. And, uh, and so then I, my kind of my next big step, I was buying just small stuff like that. So my uh, next step was a 17plex in Logan. That was kind of a pretty big step for me. How long ago was uh, from your first property you bought to the 17plex? Uh, it was about three years. Okay. Yeah. It's a pretty good, pretty good jump. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it was uh, two years after that that I jumped to the 45 unit. So, um, and just to kind of preface where you know 
all of this is. Right now I'm sitting at about 187 units. So um, I, I, I kind of made another big jump in 05. And then in 08, I uh, did another 45 plex in uh, Brigham City and just kind of kept growing south. Uh, always wanted to get into Salt Lake, so um, which I uh, bought my first property in Salt Lake about three or four years ago. So Is that the Avenues property? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I own a triplex in Salt Lake and then just a smattering of little things um, mixed in with some larger things between here and Logan. So And now we're here in the office. Yeah, yeah. So that's West Valley, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at, and we're actually moving our office. Uh, we're we're looking at a space downtown, so we're kind of excited about that. So we've got, nice. we got something more with the updated artwork yeah, yeah, this on the is walls. Updated, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a character. Yeah, that's right. I like it. So cool. So remind me again, what were so what were before you started buying your uh, rental properties and going to that space? What were you doing before? I was in sales uh, for uh, yellow page ads. Okay. So I was out selling businesses. Hey, you want to buy an ad in this uh, book? And we would so we'd sell just ad space. And um, how long were you doing that for? Uh, I'd been in that for probably five years. Okay. Before I made the move, and and to be perfectly honest, what really ended up happening. So the the, the uh, kind of the feeling at that time was, you know, the print media would just shut its doors rather quickly, but that really isn't what happened. And even to this day, I mean, you can find magazines and books. So we just, we kind of felt like with as fast as it was going, we would all be out of a job within a year. And it really ended up being about seven years before. So I was buying and still working my other job for about seven years. So I never fully transitioned into full-time real estate for probably seven years after I had okay. got into so you had it. So like a long-term side hustle. Yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> and it was, you know, I put in a lot of hours, but I'm starting to see the wisdom of, uh, you know, the, the old adage of, of uh, you know, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And, and what's happening now is, you know, some of the first properties I purchased, like I've got one home that I, I paid $50,000 for, my mortgage payment's under 300 bucks a month. My rent at the time was like 395, so not a whole lot of room there, but now it's pushing 1,000, so that spread just keeps getting wider and wider. Mm -hmm. And the mortgage payment, I mean, I stuck the bank with a 30-year mortgage, so mortgage payment hasn't moved. I mean, some insurance and taxes have moved, but but it's um, it's a great long-term concept. I mean, it's, it's a great way to um, get into properties for really cheap and then if it turns out that interest rates go down you can always go back to the bank and refinance yeah. uh, if interest rates uh, explode and go to 18 percent you stuck the bank with a 30-year note at four percent so i mean for us it's a it's it's a great position mm -hmm. so how did you um i know so so you have 160 180 doors mm -hmm. right now so where, where did it come to the point where you're managing your own properties to the point where you're actually managing other people's properties and you started this property management company? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of my, one of my not first properties, I'd been in it for probably five years, six years, and I bought a commercial property, so uh, an office building. And shortly thereafter, uh, it was a 23,000 square foot building, it had four offices. So you can imagine these are good size offices. Yeah. And I had two of those come vacant within six months of each other, and uh, I didn't have a lot of experience in office space, so I was still kind of new at it. And it isn't as—it's not like residential, where really all you have to do is lower rents, and you will get somebody in. Uh, you know, you could offer it free to a, 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 a like a dealership, for example, and they're just not going to take it because it does—it just doesn't fit with what they're doing. I mean, it has—it has to fit, and so there were there were months and months that, that, that 
that uh, we just had a vacancy and it's uh, unlike residential, you know, you can sit for two years with a vacancy in commercial. So I got pretty nervous and uh, half my income off of that one building was gone. And, um, and so I had been approached by friends that are in the business to see if I would help them manage their properties and they just had no interest in it early on. Uh, but I had kind of made that move out of my regular day job into just, I was kind of at the end of that transition when this all happened. And so I got pretty nervous and, um, and it just seemed like a way that I could, could uh, have another uh, income stream into my uh, just my personal life that I could use then use to go out and continue buying real estate. I mean, my my heart is in investing for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but I I, I think uh, you know I'm a bit of an an anomaly in the sense that not only um, did I enjoy the investing, but I actually enjoyed the property management mostly because I'm a processes person. Like I I love setting up a process and then just repeating that and duplicating it over and over. And it really is just setting the process uh, initially that is what's so time consuming. But when you, once you have that process in place, it's just a matter of repeating the same thing. And I think a lot of do-it-yourself owners, myself included originally when I started, uh, were, so, were so reactive to everything. So a problem happens or a vacancy happens or, or whether it's small, a filter to a large furnace replacement, we're always reactive. And by putting processes in place, it makes us more proactive. And it just, it works really well for this type of industry. And it kind of, it's kind of built into my DNA a little bit. So I found that I really enjoyed the management as well. Yeah, it's better to change a furnace a year before it goes out than, you know, 2 a.m. Yeah, in yeah. the middle of February when Correct. it's 10 yeah. degrees and yeah. you're rushing to find yeah. people to do it. So uh, tell me about the core components of a property management company. Like what makes that up? What are the key pieces? And then maybe we can dive into the systems that you've so originally when I set it up, we were, so there's, there's kind of three different types of uh, thinking in the way of property management. And I don't know that there's a right or wrong way. Uh, when we originally started, we were what they call portfolio based. So we would have one team that would be over a certain number of properties and then we would just kind of divide it up in regions and that team would oversee every aspect. It just didn't, wasn't conducive to our growth and we've, we've had tremendous growth um, and it's come at a, a bit of a cost. I mean, we've had some bumps along the way, so we've had to re do our processes a few times to mm -hmm. account for that growth. Right. Um, and what we've moved to now is more of a departmental style. So we have one uh, individual that, for example, oversees all of the maintenance requests. So it's a maintenance coordinator versus that team that would oversee the maintenance and the lease ups and the lease renewals and uh, you know everything that went on with those properties. Because what we found is our property managers, they're great property managers, but they might be horrible maintenance folks. They may not know anything about contracting and maintenance work. And, and so we really felt like by keeping it portfolio based, we were kind of trying to squeeze square pegs into round holes and, and not everybody is strong at everything. So we realized that we had certain people that were very strong in certain areas. And that's kind of what led to, 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 to moving toward this more departmental based. So we have one, uh, uh, team, all they do is maintenance. Uh, another team, all they do is lease renewals. Another one, all they do are, are new lease ups. And we have one that just does move out. So, um, and then there's what's a lot of companies refer to as a hybrid or a squad where they kind of uh, use both. And we thought that's where we were going, but we just realized with our growth and where we're at, this departmental style works best for us. So that's kind of the three different makeups, make, makeup of a, of a a management company. So if you had to, if you had to start from scratch today and you could maybe only hire 
two, three, maybe four people with limited resources? Like, what would those rules roles be, and what would you have them do? I don't think I would do anything different. Uh, the problem is that that uh, as we sit now, because we're at thousands of units versus when we first started. Uh, it's it's a very it's it's just it's it's almost apples and oranges to be honest. Uh, you've got er, early on we just didn't have the capacity to do what I'm doing now, just because one person couldn't do just lease renewals because there just wasn't enough to keep one person busy. Now we're very much in that in that uh, at that level where we can do that. So I think starting over, I don't know that I would do anything different, and. I, I rub shoulders with a lot of uh, property management companies across the, the country. I'm very much involved with the National Association of Residential Property Managers. It's a group called NARPM, and um, our, our growth has been pretty standard. I mean, most companies get in, they start with more portfolio-based, and they realize it just is not, it's not efficient, mm -hmm. and so they kind of end up going to this more departmental base at some point. So I would say if you're starting, um, you know, probably that's still a good way to start, to be honest. I mean, I just don't think you've got the capacity to go out and hire for all those seats when you really don't need, there's not that much work. Mm -hmm. And you said you've had tremendous growth from over the last five, 10 years. What, what would you attribute that to? How did you get on such an exponential trend? Yeah, I think the biggest factor is uh, I can relate to every one of those owners. A lot of those good property management companies that I spoke of, I mean, they're great people and we get along great. We all have, uh, it's, it's a great relationship that we have within within our community, but a lot of them come from a property management uh, world and, and they don't really see what an owner sees. And mm -hmm. the uh, to, to a, a property manager, a, a vacancy is, is a bit of an inconvenience. I mean, they've got to do this and they've got to do that or whatever, but to an owner, it's the death knell. I mean, that's where our, our whole cash flow comes from. So uh, I, as I've gone along, as I, whether it was when we were portfolio based or when or now that we're departmental based, every decision that, I, that I've made and every policy and every practice that I've implemented is based off my experience as an owner first. And in fact, a lot of our managers and team own their own properties. And I think that's what really sets us apart is that we are owners as well. Mm -hmm. so, so obviously you relate with the owners because you have so many rentals yourself, but in terms of growth, was it, um, so obviously retention was probably really high because sure. you had a really good retention. But how did you gain new customers? Were you were, were you getting referrals from them, or was it just like you built your brand and reputation, and you were uh, like the go-to company, you know, for in a certain region? Yeah. So in Logan, we were definitely and and still are the go-to company in Logan. Everybody knows us there in Logan. As we expanded into Ogden and then into Davis County and Salt Lake, the growth was much slower. Uh, now we're kind of at a point where the growth is is uh, in Weber and Davis County and Salt Lake County is outpaced by far. Uh, exponentially outpaced that uh, growth in Logan, but for a time, that's where all of our growth came. We've never really done any like uh, marketing per se, uh, so I, I, I guess it's just you know people googling us and word of mouth and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you, so you pay stuff for SEO or pay per click or no? Nothing? Mm -mm. Well, just search and read your asset management? Yeah, no. Must I, be I, nice. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing at this point, you know, people are just searching property management companies and um, <laughs> We do, you know, we're a little bit different than most management companies in that if an owner wants to sign up with us, we don't tie them into a long-term contract. We really, we feel like we're either good or we're not. And if an owner feels like that we're just not a good fit for whatever reason, uh, they can come to us and 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 get out uh, with with very little notice. So we don't, we're not going to tie them in. And, and I think that the the, the 
the consequence, I don't consequence, not the right word, but kind of an unintended consequence of being month to month with our owners is that it forces our managers to perform every single month and just not at renewal time. And I yeah. think there's this kind of propensity in our industry to kick your feet up, kick back, and then when it comes renewal time, kind of start to razzle and dazzle and put on the show. But this really forces us to perform year round. And and we get direct feedback, because if, if, uh, if somebody is, is not happy and they're in a contract, they may be less likely to really tell you what you need to hear. And if they know that they can get out, and we've had owners that call and say, "Have you know, this didn't work out and I didn't like this, I wasn't happy with that. And I'll sit down and say, okay, let's, you know, help me help you. And we talk through it. And, and so I take that information and that feedback very serious and we implement it into our team. And the hope is that we haven't done anything so bad that that owner's not willing to stick with us. And uh, most of the times it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So it's just a part, part of the, uh, you know, part of getting better. Yeah. So let's talk about something new. So I know what well, in the last one to two years, you started going to Salt Lake County. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Salt Lake County, tough market, big market, a yeah, lot of competition. There is. Um, what has it been like trying to get your foot in the door when there's properties like Rise Property Management, who's kind of had their, their claim down there? Um, what's it been like? And then also, all your all your maintenance guys was a big part of a uh, business. They're, up, they're all up north. Yeah. So you had to basically build a new like maintenance team down south as well in Salt Lake County. So yeah. kind of give us a uh, description of how that is going. Yeah, it's going really well. It's uh, it's you're right. It's taken us a while to get our foot in the door. Uh, we fortunately we've had some some owners that we represented early on that uh, not only had properties in Ogden but also had properties in Salt Lake, and so we kind of got a, a shot in the arm very early because uh, they just moved their properties over to us. So very quickly we jumped up uh, to I, I think 50 or 60 units without much effort at all and it was enough to justify starting a team down here. And I think if we'd had to start from one or two, that would have been a lot more difficult, but, but we kind of started with a good base. And yeah, it's just, it's all a process. Uh, uh, it's just growing and, and uh, that's what we've had to do. And it's, you know, it's going well, so. What was your biggest struggle you had at breaching that new market? Uh, for sure, no one knew us. I mean, that was the big thing. We, uh, we would show up to things and, you know, uh, just we were, we were, we were invisible, nobody knew us. And so that first year I made a concerted effort. I was involved with all the, like the Utah RIA, the Salt Lake RIA, um, the Northern Utah RIA. And, and I still, I mean, I go to those and I think they're really important. Uh, just getting introduced to a lot of real estate agents was important to us. So uh, that was, it was a good year. We didn't really move at all because I was just out getting to know people, just out introducing myself and our company and our concept and so yeah it was it was a struggle but but early on it was just really getting out and meeting people okay how long did it take you to, to feel like you're actually making some some leeway here in Salt Lake was it like a year or two years probably two years two years yeah okay yeah. awesome well cool well let's um if you don't mind let's jump into some uh, fire round questions sure. I think I got five or six for you okay. here so we're gonna dive into some tactics here okay. all right so uh, a big thing is people, you get a tenant in there, things go south, they stop paying rent, or they're violating everything in the lease, so you yeah. gotta boot them out. So first off is um, an eviction. Like, what are the proper steps in an eviction? 
So the first step in an eviction really starts before you even put the market or put the property up for rent. Um, and I see a lot of do-it-yourself landlords, and I'm guilty of this myself when I first started is, you know, we have mortgage payments. And so someone comes along and they're waving a, a handful of cash in front of you. And so there's this like urge to like, oh, maybe I'll overlook this and overlook that because I've got a mortgage payment. And uh, I've, I've found after doing this for 20 years that in this business, an ounce of prevention, you know, the saying is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And in this business, an ounce of prevention is worth like 10 pounds of cure. And so really, the, the, the first step in, in an eviction process really is to just make sure you've done your homework up front. And I don't mean just uh, checking a credit score because a credit score doesn't really tell you a whole lot. I tell the, I use the- We'll get, well, you're jumping the gun. We're okay. getting down there okay. right Stick okay. to evictions here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all right, for, let's go, let's so go So for proper stay, yeah. So you made a decision. So not, you, you come to terms that you made a terrible call and you got to boot them out. <laughs> yeah. So what are the steps? What, 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 walk me through that quick so, three uh, or four steps. Yeah, so um, fortunately Utah's is pretty landlord friendly. And so first step is you give a, you post a three day uh, pay or quit and, uh, and they have just that. They have three days to either pay the balance that's owing, any amounts owing, or they have to leave the property. If they stay longer than that and we're awarded the eviction, the judgment, then they, they are, um, we're also awarded treble damages. So for every day that they stay beyond, they're getting dinged three times the daily rent and we can, we can put in, um, we can get a judgment for that as well, uh, you know, when it finally gets to that point. Uh, so there's kind of a flow chart. So there's, there's different things. So if they do comply, then of course you're done. If they don't comply, then you can, you can kind of start moving forward with the, with the eviction. For the do-it-yourselfer, um, I would just, because I've done it myself uh, a lot, and it's, there's just something about getting a good real estate attorney, a landlord tenant, someone that knows landlord tenant law, and just getting that ally on your side. Uh, it's just, the, Aside from just doing all the stuff for you, when a letter comes from someone like that, it's just it's very different than when it comes from a do-it-yourself landlord. Mm -hmm. um, so at this point, we just turn it over to the uh, to our attorney, and they pretty much take it from there. So, if you're if you're going to do it on your own, then you would actually go down and you would file for a, a file a summons and complaint with the courts. And then they have a process that they go through as far as alerting that tenant that this has been filed they then the tenant then has three business days to respond to that and if they don't respond then you usually just get a default judgment well, usually you would get a default judgment if they do respond then the 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 courts will set a date and time where you've got to go to court and both sides will go and present their their facts and then a judge will decide so mm -hmm. typically if if you're doing everything right and and by that I'm I don't mean just filing when you should file but I mean actually starting the process of collecting rent, putting your grace period at this date, filing the eviction on this date, and going through that process, you could pretty much, you know, we can have someone out in about 20 to 25 days, let's say. I think 21 would be an average. Wow, okay. So 21 is pretty Not cool. an average, I'm sorry, it would be the longest, longest if you were really doing everything the way you oh, should. Okay. So gotcha. a little bit of that would depend on scheduling in the courts and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, but so. that's just for Utah though. Mm -hmm. so I guess that's just for Utah. Other states have it no. way worse. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have a good here. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about the two routes. So if you go with the attorney route, what does that normally cost you? Uh, if you were doing it on your own, again, because 
you know, we, we, we employ, we, we pay this, uh, our attorney a retainer each year to not only act as our, uh, as our counsel for evictions, but yeah. all things property management, we get a break. For people uh, who don't have a retainer, what would it normally uh, run? You're gonna be between 700 and 1200, something like that. Uh, if you, if, if they have to go all the way through the process. Now, if there is an appeal, then who knows where it could go. And in, in 20 years, I've never had an appeal because there's, there's some things that they make tenants do to file an appeal that is kind of cost prohibitive. And if they had the money to file the appeal, they probably wouldn't be owing you money. So mm -hmm. uh, they have that right and they can appeal a decision. It's just, I've never seen it happen. And then, so you say like, if they stay longer, there's charges that keep due and then the tenants have to pay. Yeah. Um, usually these tenants, they have no money, they're paying for a reason because they don't really have the cash. So what is your experience been when these tenants are racking up charges and they get a judgment against them. Like how, what's the percentage of the time that they actually, you actually see money from that? Well, and again, I don't want to jump ahead, but it all comes down to screening because, you know, even bad things happen to good people as well. So yeah. even a tenant that you screen properly, uh, divorce, um, death, uh, family problems, job loss, any number of things uh, can, can start the spiral downward. And so, but if you screen correctly up front, even that tenant that's spiraling out of control is probably a fairly reasonable, uh, responsible individual who's gonna get their life back in order. So we have a greater amount of success in sending someone like that to collections than we do someone that we've inherited where an owner was just like, I am done with this, just take it and go. Then we start looking into it and realize they have like 37 items in collections and it's just, it's, it's, it's very slim that we'll collect on it. However, I will say, that I am, I am constantly surprised with how often we get a check from a tenant that we submitted uh, eight or let's say five years ago. I mean, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's I don't wanna say it doesn't happen often in, implying that it doesn't ever happen because it does. It's, it's, obviously it's a lot more difficult if you didn't screen right, but it does happen. People decide they wanna change their lives. A lot of times they get in trouble and they're in their young, or in their early 20s and then they get into their early 30s. They're married now, they wanna buy a home, they wanna buy a car. And this is, this black cloud is looming over their, over their head. And so they, they call us up and they're like, I've gotta get this corrected. What is the owner willing to do? What do you accept 50 cents on the dollar or you know, whatever? And then at that point we negotiate it. And, and most of the time, I don't even remember them. I mean, that's how long ago it was. I don't even remember them. Yeah. So awesome. Well, let's uh, let's get this question out of the way here. Let's see. Where are we looking? Um, the screening. <laughs> the screening. Yeah. yeah. Um, biggest things that. Yeah. Let's go over like uh, how do you find long term tenants? What's the screening process? And then um, biggest things that you look for that would be like a no aside from bad credit. Yeah. Um, so screening. I mean, it's all about screening. I just can't state, state that uh, enough. And I was kind of guilty of doing exactly what I said earlier, of sometimes letting people in that I shouldn't have early on and learning the hard way. Uh, obviously, credit score is just one component. I, I use this example as where I was gonna go with this, is my, my son has a, like a 780 credit score, but he's got one line of credit. So that doesn't really tell me anything. I mean, length of credit, and when you start really digging into it, that, that's where you're gonna get a little bit more information. So if someone has a 780 and they've got 20 years of credit reporting history, okay, that's, that's gives us confidence. But what, what ends up happening as I, as I meet with owners and they're like, oh yeah, I screened this tenant. It always comes down to, I screened them and they had a 720. 
they don't know what the history was. They can't tell me anything else about any other aspect of that tenant other than that they had a 720 credit score and they wonder why they're in trouble. So, but uh, as I said, that's just one part of it. Obviously we do a full background check. We're gonna check the sex offender list. We're gonna, we're gonna do a criminal background check. Um, unfortunately, the laws were changed in 2016 that preclude us from just doing a blanket. It used to be if you called our office four years ago, right on our uh, application uh, line, it would say, if you have a felony, don't even apply. 2016, they changed that so we can no longer, use, we can't br br uh, do it such a broad stroke over all felons because uh, the, the, the the idea was it, it, it adversely impacts a certain uh, class that's uh, you know has to do with fair housing. Right. So they got rid of that. Uh, we can still we can still discriminate on certain types of felonies, but we can no longer say if you have a felony, don't even apply. So we have to kind of do it on a case by case basis. We set our rules. Uh, the one thing about screening, whether you have one unit or fifty or five thousand, the the, the most important thing you can do is set a policy and stick with it. This is where I see so many people get in trouble is that they start letting this person do what they wouldn't have let this person do. And then you end up in a fair housing issue. Even though that wasn't your intention, if this person f finds out that, you know, this person got in and they felt like that there was other reasons they're, they're going to, they're, they're going to, they're going to sue. And even if you win the lawsuit, I tell people all the time, you know, you can go to court and win, but you still lose because by the time you're time and money. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So going back to the screening, um, the criminal background, the sex offender list, uh, we what are some flags though. Cause I, I've done background checks too. And it's like, I don't know. There, there's all sorts of stuff you see on that like criminal history list, and some it's like a misdemeanor here, but then others you see like maybe like a violence or something like that. What are I guess what are some things you see on there that show up on the record that you can be like oh, I can live with that? Yeah. So definitely violence or, or uh, I can't remember. We have a special way of wording it, but basically um, if there's damage to person or place or things, something like that. I, it, we have a natural way we state it, but essentially if we can show that there's been destructive behavior toward property or people, mm -hmm. uh, that's an automatic no-go. Uh, if they've had a, like they're a three-time DUI, uh, something like that, okay, let's start looking at some other things. How long ago was it? If they have, a lot of it is time. I mean, we had one guy that had a pretty serious infraction, but it was like 1978. It's obviously very different than someone who had it two years ago. So what we do is we have a, we have a, a spreadsheet and it's, it's morphed over time. It can, it's, a, it's a living, breathing uh, sheet in the sense that we're, we're constantly refining it and not changing it so much as we're just making it more uh, detailed so we can grab all these different nuances because there is a difference between someone that had something 30 years ago versus three years ago. Uh, but, but we input the credit score and criminal background history. We also do landlord references, which I think are the most important and not the current landlord. We do, we will call the current landlord, but we give the current landlord very little weight versus a previous or the previous two landlords. The current landlord wants them out if they're bad. He may just want them out and be like, oh yeah, they're the best. <laughs> Perfect. Tenant. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also, we want to verify that they say, they, they are who they say they are. So we, at, you know, there's a, there's probably seven, uh, I wouldn't say seven, but there's a handful of documents that we require just that so that we can research and make sure that they are who they say that they are. And also to verify the previous landlords because they may just call you and say, yeah, this is the, my previous landlord, this is the number, and they're just giving you the number to their best friend. 
And so we will, um, we have a relationship with the title company that uh, we will make sure that, this doesn't work in all scenarios because if it's owned under an LLC, it's not quite as evident, but we'll at least do the search because if they say I rented from, you know, John Doe and we do a search and it's some completely different name that owns the property, that's a red flag. So uh, we want to know not only that they're who they are, say they are, but that any reference that they give us are who they say they are. And then what we started doing probably two years ago is uh, using social media. And you know, I'm not, I, don't, I don't understand social media really well myself, but those that are doing it understand it very well. And from what I gather, they pick up a lot of stuff just from social media searches. Yeah, I went to one landlord class and he was saying, um, just look for pictures they post in their house and see how exactly. clean the kitchen is there and like get the floor, yeah. if everything's you tidy, yeah. you can see if yeah. it's a good, good, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know, Some sometimes I've gotten into some discrimination though, if you can go a little bit deep on that. Yeah, you gotta be very careful. And it's, you know, I have a very good friend that's a, a property management owner and they, they had a fair housing lawsuit and, and by the time all was set, and they admitted wrongdoing and it wasn't, it wasn't horrible and, and any reasonable, reasonable person would have said, I can see how you got to that decision. You quickly corrected it and you moved on. But unfortunately it happened to a person that was just out for blood and uh, brought a fair housing lawsuit and it ended up costing them about 70,000 by the time all was said and done. And, and it was just, when I looked at the details of it, it was like, I think any reasonable person probably would have come to the same, you know, a pretty close, uh, conclusion is what they did and so it's really scary you just got to be very careful about everything you do and say we do trainings with our not only our property managers and leasing agents but with our front office people uh, we just did a big uh, assistance animal training uh, two days ago and all it was was our two um, our two receptionists that we have in uh, Ogden and, and Logan and because they're front lines. I mean, that's, and, and there are testers out there. They're gonna call and just, they're gonna ask you questions to see how you respond and so. Yeah, so that's been a hot button topic. What, g- give us the lowdown, what maybe uh, under a minute, what's the 411 on service animals? So um, it's, it's, all under, it's all encompassing under assistance animals. You've got three different kinds. You've got service, service dogs, therapy dogs, and emotional support animals. So service dog is the, 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 uh, the um, disability is readily apparent. Uh, someone that's blind, they might be uh, deaf or in a wheelchair. They, they may have put on their application that, that um, another contact is their caseworker uh, that happens to be, you know, that, that, that is a clear indication that there's, a, that there's some disability there. So if it's readily apparent, it's a service animal, those are pretty straightforward. I have no 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 uh, no issue with that. Where where it gets a little bit touchy and dicey is with the emotional support animal because for starters, there's no limit to other than if it if it goes against city code, there's no limit on what can be a, an emotional support animal. So it could be a, a parakeet, a dog, a pig. It could be uh, now there are some cities that will say you can't have a, a farmyard animal as a pet. And so certain cities will certain uh, municipalities will set certain rules and 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 we cannot go outside of those. We can't break the law, in other words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things that aren't breaking the law that so, would just make you wonder. So if I have, so I have a dog and I say, hey, Cody, uh, it's an emotional support dog. I need him. What are you, how, what are you saying to me? What do I need to verify or what do you need? How are you trying to disprove me? Well, we're not trying to disprove you at all. We just want to know that we just, we just have a very systemized, systemized process 
once we receive that application and it's what's called a, a request for a special accommodation. So we've re received the, the request for special accommodation, which in this case is an emotional support animal, which is a dog. And uh, we just need a letter from your doctor. One thing that we can do, because there are a lot of websites out there that uh, you can sign up for and they'll ask you like, I don't know, half dozen questions. Do you get depressed more than once every three days? Do you feel gloomy? Do, I mean, questions that if you even ask, answer yes to on one of those questions, they will print and send you a certificate that, that uh, they, are, they are saying that, yeah, you need this emotional support animal, you bring it to us. And, but now we can actually call the doctor and just verify. We, we, we have that right to uh, connect with the doctor and say, did you sign this? We can't ask what the disability is. We can't get in and, and, and they can't tell us because of HIPAA rules and that kind of thing. But, but we can at least reach out to the doctor and say, we have a tenant that's applied with this uh, for the special accommodation. Did you sign it? So the, 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 it's kind of a two-pronged question. Number one, is there a disability? Doctor says, yes, there's a disability. Number two is, is there a nexus that connects this emotional support animal with the disability? Is, there, is this the prescription, so to speak? And once those two things are confirmed, um, then we, we, you know, we accept them and, and we move on. So uh, we never really... So it, going to the online doctor, that's legit? If I go online, feel good? We wouldn't accept it, but, but, oh, but people are so nervous about it that they'll accept anything. But if they really know um, and to be perfectly honest, we did for the first, I mean, this has been going, I remember my first, first issue uh, was probably 12 years ago. And um, it really became, it really became big in about 2013. They made some, they made some adjustments, uh, adjustments at HUD that, that really kind of ramped it up. But, but it's been going on for a long time. And I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that was actually a tenant that educated me at the time on all of the guidelines and rules for assistance animals and because i i said yeah that's fine we'll we'll accept your animal and you know this is what your new rent's going to be this is what your deposit's going to be big red flag uh do you as as an assistance animal you cannot charge extra deposit you cannot charge extra rent you can't put anything you can't even have that tenant or that applicant uh, sign a special addendum a pet addendum that would be any that would preclude them from that in um they did any damages of the property that's a different topic i mean it's same topic but a different not not really where i was going uh you can't have them sign an addendum that would go that would fly in the face of the assistance animal rules um so we can we can have them we can require that they pick up after their pet if their pet gets aggressive we can i mean they still have to they still have to live within the terms of the lease so we have a a, a non-nuisance clause or a nuisance clause a quiet enjoyment if that animal is um, if that animal is causing them to be in breach of that lease, we can't necessarily evict them for that, but we can show cause that there's nuisance, and then they've got to remedy that situation. Whether that means getting rid of that service animal and replacing it with another, whatever that means, we definitely have some recourse. And the other thing is, most people feel like, oh, I got a I got a um, I got a note here from a, a doctor. I've got to accept this tenant. And, and you know whatever you need you know and we can that's not the case we can still make them go through our screening they still have to meet our minimum criteria and that goes back to what I was saying earlier is set your criteria to a level where you would feel comfortable with anybody moving in and then or, or whatever that level is 
just set it there and then just apply it across the board because that's where most people get in trouble is they're here and then all of a sudden they get a, an application from a service animal and for some mysterious reason it all of a sudden drops here and that person no longer qualifies and there is an obvious correlation between that person's disability and the fact that they didn't qualify and that's where people get in trouble so we can still go through the same screening process the same requirements we just can't we can't use the fact that they got an assistance animal um, to turn them down sure and again we can't charge extra rent we can't charge extra deposit um, so your hands are pretty much kind of tied in these scenarios yeah I mean the way they look at it is you know we're so used to calling them pets and and really everybody needs to get out of that frame mind of calling them pets and calling them assistance animals it's it's the same as if you had a wheelchair it's an assistant mechanism let's for lack of a better word let's just call them assistance mechanisms so it doesn't matter whether it's a wheelchair uh, supplemental oxygen or this animal because in reality I think I think this the, the at, at its heart it's a good thing because it does allow those that really need it to live a, 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 a life that you and I enjoy that they would not otherwise be able to enjoy. Sure. So at its heart, I think it's a good thing. It obviously is just get, gets taken to a different level and exploited, and that's that's the problem. And um, so I I think that the, the the damage that's being done is mostly affecting those that are legitimate that legitimately need that service. Uh, I think those that are taking advantage of it, that's who they're hurting the most. So. Sure. Well, I can't remember if you had a, another question there, but as it relates to um, assistance animals, we have to we ask ourselves this question: Would you charge extra deposit if someone said, "Look, I'm on supplemental oxygen"? Of course not. Would you charge extra rent? No. Mm -hmm. So that's how we look at assistance animals is in that kind of at that same level. Right. Yeah, I heard you say that once in a, one of the talks you gave. Just switching gears to you so you're called reader asset management. So these properties that people buy for their rental properties, or you have. It's an asset, it's a long-term investment yeah. for you. It's how you gain wealth over a long time. Um, so obviously you wanna protect this asset, right? So tell me about kind of like, how often are you inspecting homes? And then when you do these inspections, what are you looking for? Yeah, so we do, we used to do an inspection every three months, so quarterly. And we got so much pushback from tenants. Um, and I still kind of struggle with this. I, I, I really feel like, uh, you know, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, I would certainly try and get find a way to get in there every three months. Whether you're using changing filter as a reason or what, however you can can use to get in there. We we've gone to every six months, and then we've also instructed our, our maintenance folks. They have a certain checklist of things that they look for when they are in the property uh, that they alert us to. So uh, we and one of those is animals, and then we go back and see if they're either if they have an assistance animal or if it's a pet friendly property where they paid the pet deposit and all that. So we do have other inspections outside of our routine semi-annual inspections. Um, what we're looking for is obviously rule compliance. If, if uh, we, you know, you can't see that someone's, you can't like visually look at someone doing drugs, but you see drug paraphernalia, that's obviously a red flag. Um, pet, a place that says no pets, you don't see a pet, but you see a leash and a doggy dish, again, it's a red flag. Uh, we're checking uh, the, um, you know, the maintenance room, like checking for, uh, make sure the current filter is in. So in our company, we actually send our tenants filters every three months and it's date stamped, it has our logo on it. We wanna make sure that when we go in, 
the current filter is in because what we were having is is issues where a tenant would say no I, I changed the filter and you're looking at it and it's just caked with what feels like years and years of dirt and can't really call them a liar either so you kind of have this he said she said and this has kind of gotten rid of that so all of our filters are, are logo stamped and date stamped so uh, we're checking that we're checking for just general cleanliness we have a minimum standard of care not everybody has the same threshold or the same tolerance for what they consider clean and dirty uh, but we have our minimum standard of care. Clutter, um, I was gonna say clutter is okay, but we actually do have some, you know, uh, hoarder, uh, hoarder, um, a hoarder checklist. So when it kind of crosses that uh, threshold from just cluttered to hoarder, um, but most of the time we're just looking for unhealthy living. And we will send a notice saying, you've got to get this cleaned up, you have 24 hours, and then we'll go back and do a reinspection. So. Uh, same with the exterior as well. Yeah, well, so what are you looking for in the exterior wise? Just like quick quick sweep, what are you? Min again, minimum standard of care is that the lawn, the lawn is mowed and that, um, let's see, we have three things. It's the lawn is mowed, that it's been trimmed and I'm drawing a blank. But what we don't require is like, they don't have to have the trees trimmed. They don't have to have flowers planted if they don't want to. And it, it'll, oh, and yeah. it's watered is the third thing, is that, 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 that the grounds are watered. Yeah, so minus cosmetic stuff though, are you looking at anything like, um, anything like, like gutters, foundation, like yeah, so, stuff being too close to the house, like yeah, major so, problems that could cause yeah, big dollars in the future? Yeah, so we do also what is called the winterization. And so we'll go through each fall we have a, a time frame about a, about a month and a half where we have to have every property done. And that's exactly what we're checking for. We're looking for gutters because we found, and, and unfortunately I had to learn this one the hard way, is we were checking grounds but never getting up and checking gutters. And uh, especially in Utah where we can have you know cold, cold nights where things freeze and then it can actually warm up in the daytime enough to melt everything off. So you have this constant uh, freezing and unfreezing and and so someone can walk down a sidewalk in the daytime and it just be wet and the nighttime you've got a slip and fall issue so a lot of that starts at the gutter because they filled up and now the water's just draining off the side of the gutter it's not going down through the proper channels and so uh, yeah we check all that stuff we're looking for limbs that could be be issues if we get a, a really heavy snow or a, or a, or a a freeze a freezing rain that could actually snap the branches and cause issues so yeah we're definitely looking for that as well okay awesome and then just uh, your top three things tips you'd give to do-it-yourself landlords what do they need to know number one is I get asked this question a lot um, at what point at what point should I no longer manage the property myself everyone wants to know is it one is it ten is it uh, twenty hundred and the real answer is there is no number. It's at, it, it is at the point that you can no longer treat it like a business. And I think that's the biggest thing, mistake that I see do-it-yourself landlords do is adopt this kind of hope approach, set it and forget it, and just kind of hope that everything goes well. And that's where they really end up in trouble. So if you're not doing, you know, I do, I do a video, um, and maybe you, you've seen it, but it's called Sweat the Small Stuff. And it really talks about that a simple filter change can save you thousands and thousands of dollars down the road, but it is the one area that it's not, you know, it's being reactive. As, as, as do-it-yourself landlords, we have, this, uh, we have this tendency to be reactive all the time. So somebody calls up and says, my furnace is out, then we react to it. Rather than proactively going every three months and ensuring that those uh, filters are getting changed, we're reactive to everything. We react when there's a vacancy. We react when there's a work order. We react when there's a you know a, a two o'clock phone call so 
if you're running it like a business, you should be doing everything proactively. And that's not to say there aren't going to be some reaction, because there will be. But if you're doing everything proactively, if you're, if you're holding out a certain amount of money for maintenance and you're putting that into the property proactively, the chance of that happening, you know, things happening on the back end are, 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 are so, uh, so far uh, less than if you don't do it, you know, having, having things happen down the road. So I just think that's the number one thing is not treating it like a business. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as owners, a lot of us, we have hearts the size of Texas and, you know, you have to ask yourself the, this question. If your tenant approaches you and it is uh, December 28th and rents, well, even worse yet, let's say it's middle of December, so they're already late. They're standing there at your front porch, mom and three kids under three. Mom is bawling because she can't afford rent. You know, what's your, what, what is your, how would you react to that? And I think most of us, because we have hearts, we're gonna say, okay, we're gonna give in. We're gonna let you have this. We're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and let you, you know, have another 15 days or, or whatever you need. And so the second your emotions get involved, and I wanna make it sound like I'm not, you know, I'm not an empathetic guy, but we just simply run it like a business. If I were to call up, um, you know, my my mortgage company and say, "Look, I, you know, I I lost my job and I can't this and I can't that," it's not that they don't care because the person with your on that you're on the phone with probably does is empathetic. But again, they're running it like a business, and so that's the that's the number one thing is can you separate it? Can you separate the emotion and truly run it like a business? Mm -hmm. I think number two is is screening. And I've, I've touched on that quite a bit. And number three is just doing what you say you're gonna do. I see this so much with owners where they, they say, we're gonna charge a late fee on the third or the fifth, and then they never charge it. They're, or so, they hard, they're it. so hard to charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially on a tenant where you think they're kind of struggling paying bills, and then yeah. you just add one more to exactly. it, and you think it's gonna be the domino that they're like, well, I'm not gonna pay that, and then I'm not gonna pay next month's rent. Yeah. So, yeah. And then uh, also another thing I do is like, you know, every year you're supposed to increase the rent by like three to five percent. And um, I, w when I manage my own rentals, I always find it, it it's it's so hard to add, tell them like, hey, I need three percent more because yeah. like a lot of them in some of my areas, it's like, you know, they're like paying a lot for, it's kind of like a lot of their percentage of what they make. So yeah. having them asking that is kind of difficult. Well, here's the thing, here's the thing that, that you'll learn though. And again, it goes back to my phrase, an ounce of prevention on the front side. Um, once you've set that precedent, it's amazing the first time we do a rent increase that we get this pushback from the tenant and they're they're upset and they you know they want to come in and talk to us. I water the lawn. We just planted flowers. They give you every good reason <laughs> they shouldn't have to do it, and you 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 listen to them and you uh, you, you know we have a, a thing where we pull up and we can show exactly what rents are going for. So we're not overcharging. We just don't we're not we're not we don't want to be over market. We just don't want to be under market either. We just want to be where market is which is fair, and, but once you've set that the first year, they just expect it. They're hoping not, but they just expect it. But as soon as you set the precedent the first year that you're not gonna do it, you just have complicated year two, three, four, five, and forward. So, and it's the same with, uh, with notices. Uh, we we um, had a, a tenant that we inherited that was, they, they had an animal and it was fine, the, the owner was fine with it, but they weren't cleaning up after the animal. So we. We decided because we inherited this tenant, we didn't want to be so abrasive as just to give them a fine and a notice right up front. So we just made a phone call and that did very little. It didn't correct the problem. The next time we gave them a fine, they came in, they, they, they didn't like it and they're you know, obviously a heated exchange. Uh, we stood our ground 
and um, they paid it. They weren't happy. We thought they were, you know, probably going to leave at the end of the term. And they've been with us for like three years, and they've never had a cleaning issue since. So I think you're, you know, you're actually, you're actually, um, you're actually, what's the word? Um, you're shooting yourself in the foot well, if you don't you're, do it. You're, you're, I want to say the word is it's not promoting, but you're actually uh, uh, not promoting the problem. You're um, Oh, there's a yeah, word. I know where, what you're saying. Yeah, where you're you're actually helping. You're a ba you know uh, helping yeah. helping them do it over and over and over. Um, there's a word I forget, but if you don't take that stance, if you don't if you don't dig in your hills, um, you're yeah you become your own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So yeah, great three tips there. Um, switching gears a little bit. Last question, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, what is the bi biggest struggle you have just being a business owner? Right now, it is, um, right now it is hiring people. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're at a very low uh, unemployment here, here in the state of Utah, and we've got a great team. Uh, from the property management standpoint, it has not been an issue, but from the property maintenance standpoint, it's, uh, you know, just finding good maintenance help, finding good maintenance companies that will stick around. Uh, that's that's what we that's our Achilles heel right now is probably probably the maintenance. What keeps you up at night? Oh man, um, I was just uh, was just talking to um, to uh, my my business development manager, and it's you know a lot of it is the fair housing stuff. I worry about that all the time because so much of it is is out of my control. I can do all the education that I can. But at the end of the day, I still am leaning on this individual that I've hired to sit, you know, at the front desk who may just want to just kind of be there, get a paycheck and go home, that doesn't understand the ramification of saying the wrong thing and actually saying the wrong thing. I mean, that's, it's those things that keep me up night all the time. Mm -hmm. How do you manage stress? Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I, my little oasis is I, I'm big into endurance sports. So I've done, um, this May I'm doing my fifth Ironman. Uh, I've done almost 10 hundred mile marathons. So, um, I, my oasis is just getting out for a run and, uh, a bike or a swim. So. Yeah, that's yeah. a tens hundred milers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, to some degree. I mean, you did a fifty. Fifty k. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's get the never do it. I'm still feeling it though. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always hard. No, I think I think you need something. Everybody's got something different, and just within the culture of our own company, uh, it's just it's it's so. You know, for me, what works for that person, you know, yeah, just seemed right. like it wouldn't even, it wouldn't help me at all. But I I think you got to have something that kind of gets you away from it. So. Yeah. So where are you going in the next year, three, five years for the business? So we're expanding into Utah County. We, we don't have a lot there. I think we're probably maybe 30 properties in Utah County. So we're still relatively small. So now we're trying to replicate once again in a new area what we've done in, you know, Weber, then Davis, then Salt Lake County. Uh, my, you know, my vision is I would love to be, uh, we're already in the southern part of Idaho. I'd love to get up into uh, Idaho Falls and Pocatello and Boise and even as far south as Arizona and just kind of just run the Wasatch Front basically is kind of my, my vision. So what's, the, what's on the horizon for the next year? Utah County only? Utah County right now. Uh, we had, we've had some owners reach out to us uh, that are in Pocatello, but they're just not, 
we're not bringing enough to really validate or to warrant sending a whole crew up there yet. Yeah. So it's it's really not worth it to us yet. Gotcha. Well, cool. It's been an awesome podcast. I really appreciate the information. Thanks for having I hope me. you yeah. guys all, all enjoy it as well. Um, if they want to get a hold of you, Cody, personally or business-wise, what's the best way to reach yeah, you? Yeah. Uh, personally, my cell phone is 435-770-9700, and our Salt Lake office is 801-828-8944, or in Logan, 435-755-8689. Mm-hmm. And Cody at ReaderProperties.com. Website is readerproperties.com. Yeah, you on social media at all? Facebook, Instagram, YouTube? Not really. I mean, I have a social media account. I think I post about once a year. When you uh, run the ba- yeah, Bear yeah, 100. Yeah, that's about, that's about <laughs> it. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not I, I, I need to figure that out. So Gotcha. My team knows it, but I don't. Nice. If there's one message you want to leave the audience, the floor is yours. I would just say one thing I would like to to address is for those that are the do-it-yourselfers and really for anybody is take a real interest in what's happening in our state as it relates to the landlord-tenant laws because things are changing. And if you even look at, you know, for, for years we've always said, well, that just happens in California or that just happens in New York, big cities. But those things are trickling uh trickling to our state. They, there's a bill on the table right now. Uh, right now it is actually illegal to do any sort of rent control in Utah. There's a bill that's been put forth to not establish rent control, but to take that requirement that cities cannot, uh, um, cannot implement rent control. It takes that off the table. So now it's, 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 it's giving each municipality the power to um, make its own rule as it, re- as it relates to rent control, and that's just a very slippery slope. Uh, and there are other things. The state of Cali- uh, Colorado, our next door neighbor, just uh, passed a law making the, uh, it, uh, if a tenant pays late, you can no longer do a three-day pay or quit, you have to do a 14-day pay or quit. So now you're waiting an extra 14 days just in order to give them notice that they're late. There are measures to get rid of application fees. There are measures to get rid of cert, uh, of, um, of being able to screen, like right now we can screen for criminal and certain things like that. There are measures to even get rid of that. And some are not just measures, some have already happened. Um, there are, there, right now we're, we're pretty fortunate in the state of Utah, as I said earlier, we can have a tenant out usually in about uh, 21 days. Uh, there are there are rules in, in um, for example, in the state of California, I have friends there that, that they can play by the rule and still be three months. So if you think it's just out there, it's not. It's, it's, it's moving toward Utah, and I would just encourage everybody to get involved in your Utah Apartment Association. It's a great group. They have a, a political action committee, and the two guys there, it's uh, Kyle Ostermiller and... Um, uh, um, they got Google, they can find Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, those guys are, they're, they're really, they're a great liaison for the, the Utah Apartment Association. And so uh, we, we actually do a fundraising thing within our own company and we, we raised about $1,500 to put toward the political action committee for the Utah Apartment Association. And that just goes to fight for your rights and my rights because if we don't stand together as one voice, it's only a matter of time before all those things that we thought was, you know, on the coasts are, they will be here in Utah. So yeah, get involved. You heard it from the man right here. Right. Awesome. I appreciate it so much. My pleasure. Everybody hope you enjoyed. If you wouldn't mind, uh, please leave a comment down below. Let us know what we did right, wrong, anything you wanted me to ask that I didn't, um, any suggestions to make the show better or really help out. Uh, if you wouldn't mind also subscribe if you're enjoying the show and we'll see you on the next one. Later everybody.